0: This is last Weekly. I'm Doc Searles. This week, Aaron Newcomb and I are joined by Tim Pozar and Brian David, who were on a few months ago with so much to talk about with DIY broadcasting. Run your own radio station entirely with open source. Lots and lots of tools, lots and lots of approaches, lots and lots of progress. So much that we had to continue the last show on this one. And we couldn't even finish everything here because there's so many questions we have And so much good stuff to talk about, but there's a lot, and it's coming up next. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This This is Twit. Twit. This is Floss Weekly, Episode 722, recorded Wednesday, March 8th, 2023. DIY broadcasting with open source. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Collide. That's Collide with a K. Collide is a device trust solution that ensures that if a device isn't secure, it can't access your apps. It's zero trust for Okta. Visit Collide.com slash Floss and book a demo today. And by ACI Learning. Tech is one industry where opportunities outpace growth, especially in cybersecurity. One third of information security jobs require a cybersecurity certification. To maintain your competitive edge across audit, IT, and cybersecurity readiness, visit go.acilearning dot com slash quit. Hello again, everybody everywhere. I am Doc Searles, this is Floss Weekly, and I am joined this week by Aaron Newcomb, who is hey, there Doc. and now bearded like aggressively bearded a very forward-looking beard I, I like the look
1: yeah it's, well I'm trying to I'm trying to uh to model uh your look a little bit here uh <laughs> as as best I can
0: the the gray is starting to come in. yeah, I, yeah the gray so you, you you know one gets a kind of a skunk look for a while you know where it's kind of a white streak down <laughs> the middle and and, and and dark on the sides I'm past that now I'm kind of more like the uh the polar bear look um but it's, more like, it's actually a goatee in the sense that it, it's derived from, the, from a goat. And I, I can't grow anything on the sides. There's nothing there. So um, when I was young, I looked like the young Ho Chi Minh. Um, now I just look like uh, sort of like a bad Vint Surf, sort of, you know. <laughs> anyway.
1: Well, I'm trying. Uh, yeah, it grows in pretty quick. I haven't grown one for a long time. I And I haven't been on the, the show for a while. So I know. Yeah, I know. It's been a few it's, months.
0: It's, it's, yeah, it's been too long. And, uh, I wanted you on this one. We had Sean on the last one. This is kind of like part two of, um, of, uh, of the show because we had a long outline last time and wanted to make sure we didn't cover the same stuff. But being as big on retro as you are and because you haven't been on in a while, I wanted to get your take on this because we're really looking forward here. But these guys, I know these guys from radio <laughs> and, and, uh, I've known Tim a long time from both radio and from, web stuff because he was a very early web developer and uh and brian from last time but he was, works with kpfa and pacifica and um but uh, anyway so i, I want to jump into the show uh just, just just to get us started so our guests today are, are tim pozar and brian david um uh <laughs> t- tim is <laughs> they're waving at it i mean, um, <laughs> uh tim as i was saying has been um uh, a, a developer of longstanding, um, one of the earliest developers of... Um, of uh, of, uh, uh well, the Internet. Well, the Internet, I know. <laughs> yeah, I go, know. He the goes tubes. back all the way. He's before the our, web. One of our <laughs> er people, but even before there was the web. I mean, yeah. you know, when there was just mm-hmm. TCPIP and a whole bunch of things yeah. you could do on it, if you happen to be lucky enough to be at a university or a big company or a hacker who <laughs> could get into it somehow anyway. Um, and, and Brian um, was, and I think, still is, like, and a chief engineer or something though was, title now says volunteer with KPFA, which is the original Pacifica station in Berkeley, but you're in Pittsburgh, right? Is that right?
2: Yeah. Right. Still in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, I just kind of needed to take a little step back personally, uh, from the radio station for a little bit. So I'm like more of like an advising, cat, you know, capacity and like, but I still like work with my team and Tim and still making moves. And,
0: and Tim, you, you you still have, it's not a pirate station, it's like an actual LPFM somewhere? I have
3: two LPFMs licensed at my house, yes. Did, <laughs> they they you, go all of like three blocks, I think. Do, do, you, do
0: you have call letters for those?
3: Uh, you can, uh, KPEA, uh, and I forgot what the other one was. KPE what? It's KPEA. Oh, as in Peace size. Yeah, it's it's a piece through technology or something like that. There's a foundation that that has it uh and uh, and you know dash lp um yeah. so, but uh and then i forgot what the other call is i'll have to dig it up but it 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 mainly uh we're we're kind of sitting on it uh, in order to not make sure to make sure that it doesn't go back to the fcc and it and the license gets lost we're trying to reorganize it so that it goes to um uh, some place that can actually do some decent community radio with it um but it, you know if it goes back to the fcc then these licenses are going to be very difficult to get again. So we're, we're sitting on them here at this point.
0: There you are. 96.1 in Sausalito. That's there. That's yeah. Yeah. Or, or in a, you found one of them. I found, yeah, on a city block of Sausalito. It's (laughs) actually something like that.
3: that. They actually, the, if you track it down, you'll find my house. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I don't live in Sausalito. I live in mill mill Valley, which, uh, so you have to look at the current license.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, well, it, an interesting thing about this is that we are really at a liminal stage between um, broadcasting as we knew it and broad- broadcasting as it will be. And it strikes me as an interesting framing for this, that in the beginning, broadcasting was a hacker thing. You had to be a hacker to make it work. And and everybody could do it, you know, and if you were organized, you were called a church or as a fraternal organization, or a retail establishment, and you put something on the roof, and you broadcast with that. And now we're there again, and it's all open source. And you guys are at the front edge of that. So, what does that look like now? I mean, you've you've got editing, you've got to roll your own stuff. This is kind of the stuff we're going to go over today. What what's the sort of high level look of that right now well, as you're doing I'm, it on the internet?
3: I'm going to jump in because I'm I'm a little bit more of an old timer than than Dave or Brian is here, but that you know my days when i when I got into this, it was Ampex four forties and three fifty ones and things like that, and you were using single sided razor blades to cut tape and um <laughs> I was having to try to figure out how to make a forty mile s t l or studio transmitter link at at nine hundred megahertz to work properly and and you know, having to replace tubes, we had these giant tubes that we'd have to pay several thousands of dollars for, to replace in uh, every six months or every, every 12 months or so. And um, all of that's gone now, you know, uh, the technology has gone past that point where you don't have to pay, spend, you know, you don't have to worry about tubes.
1: Well, it looks like Tim lock, locked up Tim, a little bit. Tim there. froze. He, he, the, t- the tube got went, clogged. He went down yeah. the tube um, for a moment. <laughs> that's, that's okay. That's okay. We'll we'll come back to him when he comes back on. Uh, we're we should also let people know that we're kind of picking up the discussion after our the previous uh, uh, video, right? This is kind of like part two, right, of what we talked about before. Which was uh, I actually went out. I went back and watched it. it. wasn't that long ago. I think it was back in December, right? It was in uh, November, Brian? Mm-hmm. That you guys were were on. So, um, but but if people want to watch that one, there's some great history as I did. There's some great history there in terms of like what the, what a radio station looks like, how it broadcasts. Uh, we guys kind of went over the t- where the towers are in the Bay Area and stuff and what kind of equipment you use and how you do that. And then you jumped into how to, uh, some of the open source tools, not all of them, but a few of them that you can use to do like scheduling for your station if you wanted to create your own station. Brian, I think you went over some of those scheduling tools. Libre time,
2: Yeah, it was like one we use for automation. Great open source project. Like really love to follow the development over personally, like the last 10 years, um, which was like a fork from another project called airtime. So we, we talked about that. And so like seeing things change and transition and grow is sort of the magic of being open source. Like I, as like a person in the public get to see that contribute, be a part of that. So, yeah. Yeah. So great setup to this one. i just want to let people know to go back
1: and watch that one if they want to. And then we can come back. Uh, They they should watch. or or It it stands alone, so they don't have to, like, do it right now if they don't want to. (laughs) They can go back and and listen to that one or watch that one uh, on the normal places, either on the website or or YouTube or whatever. But uh, I just want to let people know. That's why we're kind of jumping into this uh, in the middle here, talking about the open source tools. But, um, Brian, uh, (laughs) maybe we should start with you while we're waiting for Tim to jump back in. Uh, I mean... You you mentioned kind of the history of of that project and some of the things going on. I mean, you know, what are some of the tools that people need to know about as they uh, maybe maybe consider either starting a station or or just kind of jumping into this field? Or this is going to be adjacent for a lot of people because. They a, a lot of folks that listen to this are already using a lot of open source tools. You know, I myself use a lot of open source tools for editing, for for uh, for video editing and audio editing and things like that. But uh, mm-hmm. what kind of tools should people be looking for if they want to get into the broadcasting space?
2: Yeah, I think uh, you know, one of them, you know, I guess maybe like a king player might be Audacity, which is an open source audio editor, multi-track audio editor, and it has something that like. Um, I really appreciate it because if it's like ease and straightforward access, I think, uh, you know, with audacity, there was a low learning curve. Like I didn't have access because I didn't have money to pay for the expensive tools. Like as a teenager, like, like, uh, there was a cost barrier. It was cost prohibitive Mm -hmm. to jump to something like from Adobe or some, you know, from, from a company. And so audacity being like, download, done, and it being multi-platform on Windows, on Linux, on Mac, you know, really had an ease of access and low barrier to entry. And then as it's developed over, I mean, my guess might be like 20 years at this point, um, it really started to have some nice features. And some of them in particular are really pertinent to broadcast. Um, One of them is the ability to do audio normalization, which is sometimes you'll record a clip or a segment and you might have these like very loud segments, these high peaks, and then you'll have like some soft, you know, kind of personal conversation and you don't typically want a lot of variance in your audio. It becomes very tiresome to the ears when you have that. Um, And so recently in the last couple of years, they added a feature, to do loudness normalization and that's something you can do at the end after you've done your editing, your clipping, you've put all your your segments in there and you know your fade in, your fade out and you can just make it all kind of a uniform sound which really polishes the the product, right? And 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 someone in the industry, a friend once said, "Quality is respect for the listener." And that was something that I, I took home, and so like at the station that I'm a part of, KPFA, you know, that's kind of the motto we run with, and so that's something that we we implement is the ability to normalize audio to a standard. Um, standards were set probably by NPR in this country, um, and across the pond in Europe, there's a different standard as well. Uh, relatively the same at negative 24 lufs in the U.S., negative 23 in Europe. Um, somebody correct me if I'm wrong here and, uh, yeah, and it's the broadcast standard and there's a different one for podcasting, I believe negative 18 lufs, and a different one for listening on the radio on like Amazon, like Alexa and the kind of like the streaming services, but with audacity, you just pick the number and you're good to go. Yeah, actually
1: I use audacity, uh, quite a bit as part of my you know daily routine. And the thing that I love about it is I can record my audio there. Um, And it has really good noise, good and easy noise reduction, Uh, because I think uh, as we're talking about this and a lot of people are recording at home, it's more likely that you're going to be picking up background noise from, you know, things, other computers. Like I have several other computers here, which create a lot of a lot of fan noise and things like that. I don't have a professional booth to record in like a lot of people do. So I get that background noise, but you can select, you know, if you start with 10 seconds of silence. Then when you go back to edit, you can select that 10 seconds, go up to the effects, hit noise reduction, get profile, go up to noise and then select everything, go up to noise reduction again and say reduce noise. And it sounds really, really good. And it's a lot easier than me having to go do that in my video editing tools. So it sounds better and it's easier to get that noise reduction that I need because like I said, now people are recording at home a lot of times, so. Um, yeah, I, I love Audacity. I think it's a great tool. Um, lots of good tutorials out there as well. Speaking of background noise.
0: Right? <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of it there. You know, I, I, I've, I've been using Audacity for years as well. I'm not as sophisticated as you guys are, but what I like about it, um, and uh, the ability just to use something an open source tool like that is that, um, Professional audio, especially on the video side, has gone into proprietary with, with um, Dolby 5.1 and 7.1 and all that that you want in your surround sound, where it just used to be stereo. You have two ears, you have stereo. Stereo is well understood for a very long time. And we're still using it with podcasts. You know, it's either mono or stereo. That's pretty much it. You have two headphones. That's enough. And, it, and it's good. It's not bad. And, you know, so I, I like that. I like being in that world.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. There's other tools out there as well. What about a tool like uh, Ardour? Do you use that one at all, Brian or Tim?
2: Um, personally not. Um and it's nothing against the project at all. Um it's just like I'm not like a music producer. Like Ardour is the Cadillac, you know, it's got like a ton of features and a lot of thought and a lot of intentionality with its ability Which is wonderful for people who really get into editing and mixing and layering and all of the process that's involved. And so it's a super fleshed out tool um, that handles the array of needs. Whereas with Audacity, it's a tool like a hammer, like a wrench, it's got a specific purpose, you know, and Ardor. isn't something that, like I said, like personally I've touched, but I believe you guys did a show back in November about it and went through it through and through. And that's probably an amazing show for people to, to check out. I believe it was November 16th. last year. Very
0: good. I I was, I was going to look back and see, I know we talked about harder, you know, but it's, it's, uh, but I wasn't remembering what show it was and the rest of that. Thanks for checking for, for reminding, uh, reminding us of that. Um, Uh, I think now would actually be a good time to take a pause and let everybody know that this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by Collide. Collide is a device trust solution that ensures unsecured devices can't access your apps. Collide is the big news. If you're an Okta user, Collide can get your entire fleet up to 100% compliance. Think about it. Your identity provider only lets known devices log into apps, but just because a device is known doesn't mean it's in a secure state. In fact, plenty of devices in your fleet probably shouldn't be trusted. Maybe they're running on out-of-date OS versions, or maybe they've got unencrypted credentials lying around. If a device isn't compliant or isn't running the Collide agent, it can't access the organization's SaaS apps or other resources. The device user can't log into your company's cloud apps until they've fixed the problem on their end. It's that simple. For example, a device will be blocked if an employee doesn't have an up-to-date browser. Using end-user remediation helps drive your fleet to 100% compliance without overwhelming your IT team. Without Collide, IT teams have no way to solve these compliance issues or stop insecure devices from logging in. With Collide, you can set and enforce compliance across your entire fleet, Mac, Windows, and Linux. Collide is unique in that it makes device compliance part of the authentication process. When a user logs in with Okta, Collide alerts them to compliance issues and prevents unsecured devices from logging in. It's security you can feel good about because Collide puts transparency and respect for users at the center of their product. To sum it up, Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and more importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Visit Collide.com slash Floss to learn more or book a demo. That's i d e dot com slash floss so so I'm wondering for both you guys um uh Brian and Tim, to what extent like the amateurs of the past are becoming the professionals or dear professionals of the present using these tools because they're available to everybody you know now you know you can roll your own more than ever before is that the case i mean are we seeing you know, more, let me put it another way, is the talent increase going towards stations of their own or established stations um, using open source tools or are they just, or are they using other things like GarageBand or something like that?
2: Yeah, uh, Brian or me? Yeah, well, <laughs> we can both tackle it. Yeah. <laughs> okay,
3: sure. I was well, just listening so the, to Doc. Okay, go see, for it. There seems to be an inertia um, with the traditional stations. I mean, um, I'm seeing a lot of people. I, again, Brian is is the unicorn in this case, in the fact that I, I haven't seen this with him. But in a lot of traditional stations, you have kind of the old gray beards that are, you know, still used to replacing tubes and things like that and are not are very concerned or nervous about sort of IT infrastructure um, being brought in to replace, um, traditional broadcast, um, you know, tools and such. So they're, they're used to going out and, you know, getting maybe a, a DAW from, from like Pro Tools or something else like that. And that's fine. But, um, if they want to be able to sort of roll their own by using like, oh, let's, let's get rid of our Windows Active Directory boxes and, you know, put in Samba or something else like that. That seems to be, uh, or, or creating their own code. Um, that seems to be the point where they're, they're just a little bit reluctant to do that. Now you have the sort of the upcoming people like Brian, who's coming out of the IT infrastructure, uh, and say, gee, you know, w- we don't need to, uh, go out and spend, um, you know, a bunch of money to pay Microsoft for, for this or, or pay, f- um, Telos, I guess, or somebody else to be able to do a, a very expensive streaming server uh we can roll our own using you know ice cast or whatever else. And so that's that's just starting to creep in. Where you're starting to see the technology sort of like show up, particularly is like low powered FM, uh like what I have in, in uh what I'm hosting here, is that I can go out and run um an automation system, an open source automation system like Rivendale, and um for free, um it basically just uses a back end like MySQL uh and then uh, and then have this thing pretty much run unattended for weeks at a time without having to worry about um going out and spending tens of thousands of dollars a year for an automation system that has been traditionally um done in the past so you're starting you're seeing it with new people that are coming in the those youngsters if i can call it with my gray beard mm-hmm. um and then the kind of the newer technologies that are coming out like lpfm
2: yeah, I appreciate that, Tim. I think, Doc, when you were posing the question, what was there was excitement coming to my mind in part because I think it's open source fulfilling its mission of democratizing, of providing access. It, At its core, as much as something is technical, there's also an aspect that it's a social program. And that's what allured me to it. Like, uh, open source and these tools were within my ability. And they had documentation and conversation, the ability to like talk to a developer and ask questions on community forums and so forth and so on. Like I said earlier, really lowers the bar to entry and it kind of breaks down or demystifies that division between like amateur and professional. Because like, I'm not somebody who went to college, I'm somebody who was dedicated and curious and had passion, time and commitment and those skill sets and those abilities. And there's millions of people like that. And that's why we see such a flourishing of open source software. So it jumping into radio for me was just the opportunity I was presented and the tools were already there. The opportunity presented itself. And so I said, "Okay, I can take this collection of tools and resources and make movement and that is a very powerful and enticing combination that I found.
1: Very cool. Very cool. One of the things I want to mention, and and it's partly because I think if we don't, uh, our audience will be wondering why. I was certainly wondering why you didn't mention it in the, the last video uh, a few months ago, which is OBS. Um, and this may jump us into a little bit of a discussion on streaming here uh, preemptively, but I, I do want to ask about it because, you know, at least for, for me, for, for YouTubers, um, especially, I mean, we really rely on OBS and anybody that's doing live streaming, um, you know, it's, it's quickly become the tool of choice for, for people doing live streaming. And so I wanted to ask about OBS. It is open source. Um, what about a tool like that for audio broadcasting? You know, is it, is it worth going down that route? I know they have a lot of great filters that I use for example, uh, on, on my audio when I'm recording with, uh, uh, Obs. So, what w- what's your personal opinion of Obs and
2: how people might use it for for broadcasting? So, like, Obs is absolutely a fantastic tool for podcasting for video based um, content. Right? For audio based content, I don't have much experience with it personally. That's why I didn't speak to it. And mm. it's not something that um, I'm fearful of, but the opportunity like hasn't presented it. Me- presented itself to me. I know millions of people use it and rely on when we did live performances in our performance studio, we used OBS to have multiple cameras and transport. Or some of our hosts are doing video casting, video blogs of their show, like Letters in Politics with a host Mitch. He's uh, wheelchair bound and at his home and has been through the duration of COVID for the last three years. So at some point he's like, I'm getting creative and firing up OBS and learning it. And then was amazed at the number of tutorials and like access to it. And that richness um, might not have been present in radio broadcasting world, um, you know, before the internet and with this um, you know, he he's able to have access to that power. So it's absolutely a tool that is transforming society and, and, also lowering that barrier to entry and people are creatively exploring with it. And it's incredibly powerful. I've only touched it once.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and no problem. What about you, Tim? Do you have any experience with OBS and if not, what are some other tools uh, for streaming that you might recommend?
3: Well, in the, in the case of OBS, um, again, (laughs) my, my, my experience has been in the audio domain. It has been less in the video domain. Um, we are going to be, the times that I have touched it have been things like doing video conference or hybrid conferences and such where we're doing, um, you know, half the audiences online and half the audiences at a location. Um, so a solar microcomputer workshop is one of the conferences we do, you know, we do this sort of arrangement. Um, and I find it's great for those sort of applications. We haven't seen it Work uh, again. This is it's primarily a video kind of switching and processing, and um, you know it's it's designed for that. Um, we haven't quite find the fit exactly uh, for kind of mainline broadcasting that you know, like for instance, what KPFA is doing or commercial um, uh, broadcasting is doing. So um, you know, if if I was doing more video uh, side of the the
1: broadcasting yeah i'd probably be looking at this so. so what what are some of the tools the open source tools you might recommend then for um for streaming just for for audio streaming then well the what's we, we sort of touched on it a little bit um
3: uh last time uh, a little bit uh we're using uh, things like Icecast is a great open source tool for for streaming it's uh we do want to sort of touch on the fact that this may come to be a little bit dated at this point. Um, my previous company that I had um, was a company called Fandor, which was kind of this niche video streaming company that uh, um, uh, did mainly sort of rep house kind of films and such. And that's the point where I got exposed to a protocol called HLS uh, where Icecast uses basically you, you connect to um, an Icecast server you open up an HTTP connection, um, and you start getting audio being sent to you. And that may be at 128 kilobits per second or 64, or whatever you're, you're, you decide that you want to be able to connect to at. Uh, this is great. It's cheap. Uh, it's, uh, it, uh, it works well. But we're starting to see people who are running into things like, gee, how do I listen to live streams like in my car? Well, that means that you're going to have to be going over kind of a lossy and possibly congested, um, mechanism like a cellular, your LTE connection or something like that to be able to listen to this. Um, some years ago, I wrote, I was on the, uh, this kind of future foundation for Motorola and I said 3G is going to be the new standard broadcast band because I saw AM and FM over the air as being deprecated and IP delivered the delivery was going to be the, the way to do this. And this is borne out the fact that people want their, um, their streams showing up in their car. So there's a new protocol that's out there. um Well, not so new, but it's been around for a while called HLS. And this is a chunked protocol. Um, it means that, uh, and any, any Apache server or Nginx server or anything else like that can do this. And how it works is you get a playlist or the client gets a playlist of of a bunch of different bit rates. So, you know, it knows it can connect at 64 or 128 or 256 or or whatever else or even FLAC. Uh, and then the client decides on which connection it's going to connect to at what, what data rate, depending on the congestion that it's experiencing in the car or wherever it is. Um, and then on the transmit side, uh, you would have either these bit rates already sort of like programmed in uh, that you're always streaming out these sort of bit rates, or you may do what's called adaptive or, or live transcoding of the bit rate. So you may send uh, like a uh, uh, an uncompressed stream to the server, and the server, depending on the client, what the client wants, it will automatically transcode that down into the bit rate that the client needs uh, at this point. And since it's a chunked bit, you're not you're getting a you're getting like maybe, uh, eight megabytes, uh, worth of like 256. And then it decides it's over, uh, it's over, uh, subscribed. It needs to go down to 128. It's going to ask for the next bit rate at 128. So it's going to be a much seem, much more seamless experience and much more, uh, uh, interrupt. Uh, you're going to have less, far less interrupts in the, because of the congestion that you have. And particularly when you get into a point where you're further away from a cell site or, Um, you're going to be competing with other cell, you know, uh, cell users in that area and such. So that, that's a, that's an open source or that's an open protocol that can be done, as I said, with any sort of, um, um, server like Apache or Nginx at this point. So that's, that's the kind of the next step that we're seeing with, with streaming is, is these chunked protocols.
1: Yeah. And HLS, that's an acronym.
3: Yeah. Uh, it means HTTP live stream. Um it there was a previous protocol that Apple had called HDS. Um and there's been a number of different, you know, uh protocols about this, but everybody has been sort of like settling on HLS at this point, or these kind of chunked protocols as opposed to so they're they're um they're not sort of this constant on connection. They're they're gonna be adaptive depending on, on your experience.
1: Right. So you don't get an interruption as you're listening. Yeah. Um Uh, Brian, what about you? Any streaming tools that you might recommend?
2: Yeah, I think kind of bridging the discussion from HLS as a protocol and your experience with OBS, um, the evolution, of course, is to to merge that and make that a user-friendly application that's open source and self-hosted called PeerTube. So PeerTube is a YouTube replacement. Um, It's something that One can host on their own server or um, at a data center or, you know, wherever you want to host this box that can take uh, a stream from OBS, and it could be video, it could be audio, it could be both, and display it to, to users. And there's a web interface, and you can subscribe, you can like, you can comment. And PeerTube is developed from a French nonprofit called Framasoft. Um, But there's also a lot of developers around the world and it also interacts through another protocol called ActivityPub, which is what Mastodon uses, which is what the Fediverse uses and so you see a remarkable amount of interactivity um, with applications that are using that ActivityPub protocol. So you can stream audio and video and have a wide-ranging audience. Hundred listeners, thousand listeners—you're really going to be limited by bandwidth um, of your of your server, of your uh, you know appliance, wherever it's installed. And so, it being a YouTube replacement and it being something you can self-host also opens up to you being the moderator. It means you can define what content you want to have, and you can do it without limitations. And most importantly, without the algorithms that come with the more corporate platforms, the more profit driven platforms. And so you get a much kind of cleaner experience um, as a user and then as a producer. So taking kind of the best of what OBS has to offer in terms of producing something, taking the best of what HLS as a protocol has in distributing something making that available in a click kind of send my stream here, here's a link for my listeners to view all of this or listen to all of it. Um, PeerTube's been a rock star at kind of, again, taking the best of open source and democratizing and opening up space for not just content producers, but for an audience that's unencumbered uh, from like profit incentive and stakeholders and shareholders. And so you can kind of focus on just what you want to create. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, <clears throat> I'm just doing some, some, some live research here. Uh, but
1: it looks like it's a, it's really about enabling people to create their own YouTube, right? I mean, yeah. it's not, it's not really it, in a, in and of itself. It, it's not a platform where you go to watch the videos. It's, it's software that lets you create your own YouTube if you want to
2: basically. Um, so you can kind of do your own thing, however you want. Absolutely. You know, it's, uh, and it's not just like your YouTube, your YouTube can interact with someone else's YouTube. So you can see the videos on their server locally on your feed on your PeerTube instance, and you can subscribe, subscribe to their channel or their server, or if there's a server out there that has content that's offensive that you don't like, you can defederate, meaning. You just don't have to see it on your server or if you're the administrator of the server or your channel, if you're just a user with a channel. So it gives a lot more power and flexibility for constructing and crafting the world in which you want um, and a lot more control back in the hands of users.
1: Yeah, cool. It sounds like a little bit of a, of a similar to Mastodon in that in that way where you create your own server and you <laughs> can say, I don't want to see this, whatever, explicit material you can choose, you know, the members of your server can choose, you know, what they what they want to filter out and things like that. So that's that's really interesting. I know that it's one of the things that uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) frustrates me and a lot of YouTubers is there's no opaqueness. There's no or there is opaqueness, I guess, depending on which way you look at it um, it, to the algorithm to see like, why isn't my video getting promoted or why did that video get promoted uh, over mine when my video's better, of course, Um, you know, so it's kind of a fascinating um, uh, tool maybe that people can use to get around that and really let people decide kind of what they want to watch, I guess. Cool. What other
2: tools, uh, any other streaming tools we should mention? Um, One dimension, of course, and it's sort of um, been rapidly developing. It's kind of exciting. It has a large growth community. Is Azura cast, like A Z U R A cast, and uh, I believe you had another nice episode, number six thirty seven. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you do <laughs> research <laughs> <laughs> with the lead developer. So I honestly can't hold a flame to somebody who's this is their passion project, but to have again kind of this like self hosted platform with nice like, accessible feature set you don't uh it it does like that intention created a low barrier to entry and so you can kind of one and done install it and then start streaming with uh Icecast start streaming through HLS you can integrate your audio feed to your you know your your little low power FM web page um and yeah so it's kind of like a one stop shop you can schedule it's similar to uh LibreTime except just a slightly different direction. And I think it would work really great for music, like people who have stations that are filled with music. Um, And yeah, beautiful interface, a lot of intentionality to it. It's a great tool to check out. And also the episode with the lead developer.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to go, I want to go a bit further into some of these things, but first I have to let everybody know that this episode of floss weekly is brought to you by ACI learning for the last decade our partners at IT Pro have brought you engaging and entertaining IT training to level up your career or organization. Now, IT Pro is part of ACI Learning. With IT Pro, ACI Learning is expanding its reach and production capabilities, offering you the content and learning mode you need at any stage of your development. Whether you're at the very beginning of a career or looking to move up in your sector, ACI Learning is here to support your growth not only in IT, but cybersecurity and audit readiness. One of the most widely recognized beginner certifications is the CompTIA A-plus certification. CompTIA courses with IT Pro from ACI Learning make it easy to go from daydreaming about that career in IT to launching it. Earning certificates opens doors to most entry-level IT positions and supplies potential promotions for those already in the field. Tech is one industry where opportunities outpace growth, especially in cybersecurity. A recent LinkedIn study predicts IT jobs will be the most in demand roles in 2023. So there's no time to waste. About one third of information security jobs require a cybersecurity certification compared to 23% of all IT jobs. While organizations are hungry for cybersecurity talent, the cyber skills gap grows bigger every day. The average salary for cybersecurity specialists is $116,000. ACI Learning's Information Security Analyst and Cybersecurity Specialist programs can get you certified. In 2022, the global cybersecurity workforce gap increased by 26.2% compared to 2021. ACI Learning offers multiple cybersecurity training programs that can prepare you to enter or advance in this exciting industry. The most popular cybersecurity certifications offered are CISSP, EC Council, Certified Ethical Hacker, Cybersecurity Audit School, and Cybersecurity Frameworks. Where and how to learn matters. ACI Learning offers fully customizable training for all types of learners, whether preferred in person, on demand, or remote. Take your learning beyond the classroom. Explore everything ACI Learning offers with IT Pro, Audit Pro, including Enterprise Solutions webinars. And the Skeptical Auditor Podcast, practice labs, learning hubs, and a partnership program. Take us one industry where opportunities outpace growth, especially in cybersecurity. One third of information security jobs require a cybersecurity certification to maintain your competitive edge across audit, IT, and cybersecurity readiness. Visit go.acilearning.com slash twit. That's go.acilearning.com dot com slash twit. Don't forget to use our special code TWIT thirty to get thirty percent off a standard or premium individual IT pro membership. Pause. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I've got,
1: I've got a bunch of questions. So I want to jump back back into this. So we, 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 one thing that I learned, uh, very quickly, I realized very quickly when I started doing my YouTube channel was that there's things beyond just getting in front of a camera or a mic and talking, right? So there's things like uh, making your content friendly to be used by perhaps other people and that there are some things you need to know about that standards, uh, lengths of time that work and don't work. Also, uh, you know, backing up my stuff. Uh, it, It takes up so much space. I have to be able to put it somewhere, but I want it at hand so I can go get it. So. Do you, uh, let's start with Tim, maybe on this one, have any recommendations for either tools you can use or best practices we can use uh, for those types of things, specifically when uh, we talk about audio and broadcasting?
3: Sure. In the, in the case of, you, you touched on, like, for instance, archiving and such, um, the, making sure that, first of all, the files you have out there are not going to go corrupt. Um, if you just put, you know, a file on a, on a hard drive, some little, uh, you know, cosmic ray or blip on the drive or something else like that, there's a number of different failure modes that, that can happen. And with a streamed piece of media, video, audio, whatever else like that, any little glitch like that is going to, or any little bit flip is going to cause a major problem with, with the, uh, with the next chunk of file that's happening there. So having, some way of being able to assure yourself that the the media that you place there is going to be good and accurate and it's going to last for a while is something that is highly critical for us. Again, back in my days when I was doing Fandor, this is even more critical because we had like these ProRes files that were like a terabyte gigantic file, video files. Uh, audio files are a little bit easier to store, uh they're much smaller, but even with, you know, 44.1 you know, two channels, things like that, you're still talking about, uh, a, you know, reasonable sized files. So what I do is I'm looking at things like the file system. I'm going to be using something like ZFS, which has a lot of um, overhead in file correction and sanity checking for the files to make sure that they're, they're accurate. Um, I'm going to be using ZFS also for doing things like snapshots. Um, so I can, um, if I inadvertently delete a file, I can roll back and get it back pretty easily. Um, so, uh, I'm also going to be using things like Samba for basically file delivery. All of this is open source and this is all, you know, uh, light years ahead of particularly a lot of other uh, commercial applications that I can find out there or commercial solutions. Uh, I'd much rather be able to store my media on this sort of system. Obviously redundant drives, things like that that you're gonna be doing. Um, making sure that you have some sort of way of being able to back this up to another ZFS server. So ZFS also supports this thing called, it's kind of their own version of RSync where they copy over things block by block um, to another server. Um, in the case of file delivery, um, uh, 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 Brian did a really great job of putting together kind of a file upload system. Um, you, you may be able to find things like, we need kind of the equivalent of Dropbox. Um, so you could be looking at things like, um, uh, what is it? Uh, oh, I just had a, I had a brain fart here. The, um, uh, what is it? It's called OpenCloud or... NextCloud. Next Cloud, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, Next Cloud looks like a great solution. I, I'm just starting to dive into it at this point as a way of being able to sort of use uh, as, a, as an equivalent of kind of like Dropbox and such. But before Next came about, uh, Brian came up with a really great solution of the fact of just taking um, Apache and some PHP and writing it and coming up with a way of being able to upload... Content to the radio station from people that are out in the field. Uh, Brian, do you want to talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, sometimes there's wonderful pre existing open source um, foundations which have programs like such as Nextcloud, which is full featured and does a lot. And sometimes, like with a radio station, you want a quick and efficient way for people to just give you their content and for them to do some like manual checking of it, make sure it sounds good, et cetera, or like clips. And sometimes a simple solution is just to, you know, check out GitHub, find some like PHP uploader script, modify it, make it look pretty, and put some credentialing in front of it and boom, then you have a nice intuitive and simple way for people to drag and drop, you know, their their episodes or their content or their shows or whatever somebody, from outside the station wants to bring into the station and like tim was saying backing that up with some good hardware practices some good like system admin skills like yes ZFS file system mirrored or and some other sort of raid array having ECC ram having a backup of that means your content has redundancy it has built in checks on it And tying that all together, you have a reliable system that'll last for decades. Um, And so, yeah, rolling your own solution or building off what others have done um, is what, what helped me to implement something during, uh, you know, the, the early stages of COVID when people were just not coming in. And so you needed something quick and easy.
3: So we we may not, you may not find like the perfect thing. NextCloud may not necessarily be what you need. Uh, uh, you know, Audacity may not necessarily be the, need, the thing you need. But the fact that we have a bunch of open source product out there, like, you know, Apache Nginx, PHP, uh, Perl, Python, whatever, you it may not take that much to go out and um, code a little bit or hire somebody else to sort of do this coding for you to be able to get what you need to have happen. And that's exactly what Brian did to be able to have this uploader um, uh, for his content providers to be able to push content back into the station or possibly deliver it back out uh, so other people can pick it up. Um, there's a piece of code that I, I may have touched on this last time is um, there's a project that I'm on which is called radio for all um, which is a um, a content distribution. Um, if you want to look for it, look it up. It's radio at number 4 all.net. Um And this is a kind of content depot. It's where uh, content um, producers like, you know, people that are doing uh, radio shows and such who want to be able to distribute to uh, LPFM stations and such. Yeah, thanks for the, the screen there. Um, can go out and be able to distribute to little LPFM stations and such. And recently we just took this. It was a bunch of, um, Java, uh, and some pretty crafty PHP, and we just re-ported everything over to Django as a, as a framework. So uh, it, took, uh, it took a couple months and me hiring a, 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 a person to come in and do the coding and such, but now what we have is something that's going to last for another 10 years um, that we don't have to worry about the fact that we have to be dependent on Tomcat um, and that cruftiness of Tomcat, sorry, you know, Tomcat, uh, fan but, um, it, it was really hard to sort of maintain it when, when it was in Tomcat. So having it as a Django framework and being able to leverage something a little bit more modern, we now have something that's going to last another 10 years.
0: I wonder if any, if everything lasts, this is a, and we're getting toward the end of the show here. Um, because it strikes me an interesting thing about radio is this very old fashioned radio is very evanescent. It came, it went, it was what I used to call snow on the water. You know, it falls, you see it there. Now it's gone. Um, when the net came along, we started archiving things. But one of the things I've noticed about both Google and Bing, especially as chat GPT has come along is that they don't care about archives anymore. I mean, I've been, I've been archiving stuff on the net for, for twenty six, twenty seven years, something like that. My old stuff is it's there, is there are links to it, but page rank no longer works. They're not using page rank anymore. They're answering questions. And this is something that came to me yesterday. We're we're moving away from the archival net. In the meantime, what you're talking about here, what you what I see with uh, with um, with Radio for All, especially that it says at the top the older archives have been substantially recovered, more than twenty three thousand eight hundred files worth. They're caring about that. You know, and it seems to me that's really where this is going. I'm not sure Google cares about it that much. I'm not sure uh, Microsoft does. I'm not sure anybody who's in a, a commercial entity cares about it much, especially when we're in the current environment. But we're caring about it with radio. That's interesting.
3: You, you know, I, I highly suggest if you haven't talked to the folks at Internet Archive, uh, they are,
0: they so matter. They're huge. They, yeah. The,
3: they have, they've been doing a lot of work on not only archiving, but how do you take media that was written in like real player or real audio and, yeah. and be able to play that back now? And how do you, how do you make that transition? How do you keep moving it off the, the old media to the new media or the, the old codec to the new codec? That's, that's a real difficult challenge.
0: Yeah, also, I know they. Uh, they showed me how they're they they recorded. They have a massive quantity of seventy-eight, of seventy-eight RPM records, and special tone arms for different ways they were recorded and and played. It's amazing stuff. Yeah, Up your so uh, radio
3: stations have that same problem. I have I was moving an automation system for one commercial station that was using this kind of old Dolby format uh, to try to you know get it into at least Wave format. And we could not find a codec that could move it into kind of a newer automation system. We were stuck with this proprietary um, format. Um, so that's, again, it's, it's a big, big problem for radio stations in just moving their old archives.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. I When I first started uh, deciding to do this kind of for real as a hobby back in 2006, inspired, by the way, by Twitter by listening to Twit, I'm like, hey, I can do that. Uh, so I started my own show and I uploaded everything to archive.org. I used that as my CDN. So all of my RSS feeds and everything all just pointed directly to the links on archive.org because it was a easy solution for me to get my content out there. I didn't have to worry about storing it someplace that was going to disappear. Hopefully, at least that was the hope back then. And mm-hmm. it's been great. So yeah, you can still find some of my old open, uh, what was that show called? The source. Uh, if you want to blast from the past and see me as a young boy, uh go look up the source, <laughs> Aaron Newcomb on archive.org. I, I do want to cover one more thing um before we I know we're kind of almost out of time here. Um but that's something that's uh very popular the zeitgeist today which is AI using AI tools. Um have you seen I'm using AI right now by the way I'm using uh, Nvidia broadcast or broadcaster NVIDIA broadcast um and I use their little tool that you're not seeing my eyes right now. You're seeing Fake eyes so that my (laughs) eyes are always my eyes are always pointed at the camera. Right. And you can kind of see if it's working. I don't even know if it's on it. Maybe you are seeing my real eyes. But if it's not, I can kind of look to the side and it'll still focus my eyes on 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 the camera. It'll keep my eyes on the camera. So it looks like I'm always paying attention. Um, That's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's super creepy and you don't notice it until you look really close. Yeah. Like I've only had one person that actually noticed it and they were another YouTuber that, that pays attention really closely to these things. Mm. Um, So it does, it does a really good job. But that being said, what, what is the place of AI in broadcasting, especially for the person that wants to do this uh, on their own from home with all these tools we've been talking about to make it easier? Is there a place for AI to come in and help with uh, audio and broadcasting as well?
2: I think it's a fantastic question. And it also, you know, it, it enters into the Pandora's box, right? Of like, <laughs> with a tool, you have a question of like a purpose, a utility, right? Like that's why we, we go for a tool. In some way, it helps us to do what we want to do. And the, the, the presupposed question is, well, what do we want to do? You know, in in, in broadcasting, at least like my background, is like more community centered. It's engaging questions, it's building curiosity, it's um, engaging wonder, right? And so I don't know how AI could help me engage my curiosity with others and develop a conversation. I'm not saying it can't, for instance, but like um, more interpersonal dynamics are at play which is kind of at odds with an artificial dynamic. So I think there's a paradigm that might be a dichotomy at the moment, but I just don't know uh, its role, at least in something that isn't profit driven or at least in something that isn't quantitatively valued. So it's, there's still these kind of, like you mentioned, like the zeitgeist, and I guess these are like real grounded philosophical questions of like, how do we want to use this? Do we want to use it? In what realm? Is there <laughs> <laughs> is there any realm that's sacred anymore? Tim, with the phone? <laughs> the static,
0: the phone, the, the broadcast the, guy's got the yeah. phone. The realm static. is,
1: the is
3: called. They want their, our, their
0: broadcasting tools. has got his dog. Back. We've got... For...
3: Brian, I think I think you made a really good point here in the fact that um, if you're trying to connect to the audience, AI may not necessarily be the best tool for you. If you're just doing rote stuff, like for instance, I I need a bunch of copy for um, a, a Popsicle that I'm trying to sell or something like that. Maybe AI can help me write that copy for, for an advert or something. Or it may be able to help me come up with some news and such. But if I'm really trying to sell a, 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 or tell a story, uh, about a, a critical need that's in my community. I may not necessarily lean on AI because it's just not going to convey the the, the needs or the emotion that I'm trying to make and connect with the audience. So the, we have to see how well that cooks and see how well it that gets developed.
1: Yeah, exactly that's exactly my take on it as well. I was glad to hear you say that Tim because there can be some additive stuff like my little eye tool here or um you know, I did a I did an episode on my uh, uh, YouTube channel about using ChatGPT and I did the intro. I made ChatGPT do the intro for that and it, and it worked pretty well, but it wasn't as personal, right, as me doing it myself. There was no ums, There was no, you know, whatever. So if you really want a personal connection, I think it's going to be a while before AI is going to be able to help with
2: that because it does get impersonal really quickly. So. Sure. So. Also- kind of concerned about vulnerability. Like, you know, our ability to be vulnerable with one another is what makes us human. (laughs) hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. Doc, sorry.
0: So we actually are out of time and, uh, whatever things we ask at the end, is there anything we haven't asked and you have a very long list of those things already on a document of things we haven't asked. We had that last time we have it left over this time and we will actually have to have you guys back again. uh, I'm sure. Maybe not quite so quick, but it's all moving very fast. So uh, let me just uh, finish by asking what we always ask, uh, and you answer before, but maybe people won't remember, and it doesn't matter anyway. What are your favorite text editors and scripting languages? <laughs> uh,
3: uh, all the East Coast folks are going to complain. It's Vi well,
1: and uh, they and Python my, uh, mileage. And- What? someone's someone's playing a video from from the past i think Uh, oh i see (laughs)
3: uh vi in python or bash actually i love bash if i could do everything in bash i'd be happy
2: (laughs) nice yeah i um i answered last time with nano so i guess i'll just say pico uh (laughs) (laughs) and uh yeah i probably second bash or you know i really like some Cobol. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i did learn COBOL in high school that was rough
0: <laughs> I, I have friends that continue to make money with COBOL
2: okay.
0: at banks so guys this has been great um uh it will again we'll have to have you back um and uh uh you know yeah. take it easy and and keep powder dry Th-
3: thanks for inviting us
0: yeah, yeah thank you okay. thank great. you
2: man thank you doc tim
0: So, (laughs) so Aaron, that that was a good one. I was noticing we are all bearded across the board here. Yeah. Um, So how is is that for you, Aaron?
1: Oh, it's great. I mean, there's so many things to talk about. I mean, it, 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 you know, it it mirrors up with, with my interests so well, like you said, at the beginning, Um, even when we were talking about ZFS, for example, my first appearance on Twit was talking about ZFS. I was working for Sun at the time. Uh, and this was back in like, I don't know, 2000, maybe 2008 or something. And uh, I actually came to the old cottage, talked about ZFS. And then after that was talking to um, Leo and was like, hey, you know, maybe I could host some time or something. And that's what got me started down the path of co-hosting uh, Floss Weekly. So really fun. Um, also, something I was kind of surprised uh, just really quickly. I know we don't have a lot of time, but uh, we didn't talk about this, but there's a great for anybody that wants to get started on a really uh, geeky level. There's a great old project that you can do on a Raspberry Pi, which is you take your Raspberry Pi and you turn it into a little mi- uh, mini broadcast station. You can do a Google search for FM trans, trans- uh, transmitter uh, Raspberry Pi. You'll come up with this, and uh, you can actually take any wave file or other files if you want to get really into it, and kind of like create your own little radio station that'll go 20 feet or something inside your house. So this is playing right now uh, off of a battery and a Raspberry Pi. And if i take my old transistor radio here I do actually i don't think it's a transistor radio but if i take oh, my uh, radio and turn it on it should so hear. beyond that though he did such a good job like i said <laughs> not much really else to say about it from it.
2: so that's are. just
1: a little bit of audio from one of my uh, youtube videos that i converted to a wave file and just just put on the raspberry pi and now that's playing around my house i can listen to myself talk uh as much as i want to with with any old radio i can find but it's a great project for people to get into and uh, highly recommend it if, uh, you know, especially if there's any youngsters out there that just want to get started and do something fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, Take I, it I have
0: a, a Ramsey, I don't know if Ramsey's still in business or not, but a Ramsey kit. I built a Ramsey kit that gave us a. I guess a quarter watt transmitter and it's all open source and the sensitive is all available parts. They're all off the shelf mm-hmm. parts, you know, capacitors and resistors and things you solder onto boards. Um, and of course, the thing weighed half a pound, you know, it wasn't like a Raspberry Pi. But anyway, yeah. this is this has been great. Um, uh, uh, give me your plug, Aaron, quick. Your uh, hack shack and the rest of it. That's right. YouTube.com
1: slash retro shack. Go watch that episode I did on chat GPT. Um, it was really not talking about how to do an intro for a YouTube video It was talking about if I could use chat GPT to write, uh, programs, basic programs for the Commodore 64. Um, and there what you're seeing now is the recent one I did where I added HDMI to an Atari ST and I've also added HDMI to an Amiga. So if you like that kind of stuff, go check out my YouTube channel and, uh, uh would really appreciate it i love to see floss weekly viewers crossover <laughs> back and forth uh to my other stuff it's great
0: that's great i i i want um i want an ai to to look at my um audacity files and cut out all my ums because uh, yes, I, yes. I i use my i can look at the waveform i know what my ums look like i don't even need to listen to it I a chop 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 i'm an ummer i after me so many too. decades on earth. I'm not going to stop. I mean, so next week, everybody, we have Seth Fry on, um, uh, he's an academic as at UC Davis, um, cognitive scientist, but with open source connections, really, really, really smart, interesting, uh, guy. And I advise you to come back next week and listen to that. In the meantime, I'm Doug Searles. This has been Floss Weekly and we'll see you then.
3: Hey, I'm Rod Pyle, Editor-in-Chief of AdAstor Magazine, and each week I join with my co-host to bring you This Week in Space, the latest and greatest news from the final frontier. We talk to NASA chiefs, space scientists, engineers, educators, and artists, and sometimes we just shoot the breeze over what's hot and what's not in space books and TV. And we do it all for you, our fellow true believers. So whether you're an armchair adventurer or waiting for your turn to grab a slot in Elon's Mars rocket, join us on This Week in Space and be part of the greatest adventure of all time.